0: if you got your Bibles, would you join me in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter six? And uh, just continuing through the Gospel of John, thankful for Pastor Michael, who uh, who preached the word last week. And uh, just uh, it's a blessing to, to be back with you this this morning. And our theme this morning as we walk through this word is understanding belief, understanding belief. The word believe is. The disciple John, it's got to be like his favorite word. All of us probably have these favorite words or favorite sayings that we say often. Uh, if the disciple John had a word, it has to be believe. Uh, because he says it in his gospel that he, he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote the word believe somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 times. Uh, and, and so much so that the whole reason that he wrote this gospel that we hold in our hands And that God has gifted us is he says, so that we would believe if you were to go over in the end of John chapter 20, verse 31, here's what he says. He says, these things I've written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you will have life in his name. And so his passion, his purpose is that anyone who would hear these words and here we are gathered around these words today is that we would believe And Jesus is going in the text today. He is going to confront in a very grace and truth way. Uh, Jesus is grace and truth. He's grace. He's truth in a grace and truth way. He is going to confront these miracle chasers that have that have that have pursued him and chased him down. But he's going to confront the miracle chasers. And he's also in a lovingly way confronting us on what true belief is. And he's going to help us understand what that is in a very raw and a very graphic way for the people who would have heard it that day. And maybe even for some of the ears here today, when we hear it, it can be almost shocking what Jesus says. And so this portion of scripture, before we jump in, it's always good when we read our Bibles. If we go to a verse, it's always important to kind of read what's going on around that verse, because it's going to help us. God's going to use that to help us better understand the picture. So before we jump into verse 51, I I want us to know that what he says and what we're going to read is a part of an ongoing conversation that didn't just start, but rather it started the day before. It started the day before on a Galilean mountainside when Jesus did something only he could do. He took five loaves of bread and he took two pieces of fish. And on a Galilean mountainside, the Bible says he blessed it, he broke it, and he fed the multitude. Some estimate as many as 15,000 to 20,000 people he fed with five loaves of bread and two pieces uh, of, of fish. That if you think of a packed out FedEx forum and then probably add some more, that's the group of people that we're talking about that Jesus performed this incredible miracle. And when they saw this miracle, they saw what his hands could do physically. And so the Bible tells us that, that when he performed this miracle, they actually tried to seize him and make him their king. I mean, they saw what his hands could do. And so if his hands can do that, just imagine what he could do with Rome. And so the Jews were under Roman rule, under the tyranny of Rome. And so they see what Jesus can do with his hands and the the physical miraculous things that he can do. Uh, This is our chance. This is our chance to seize him, make him our political king and let's flip Rome on its head and let's rule and reign. And the Bible says they tried to lay their hands on him. But the Bible says that Jesus is the conquering king. That's what's important for all of us to hear. He is the conquering king. He is ruler over all kingdoms and, and kings and, and rulers. He is the king of kings. There will come the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. I want us to think about that. That day's coming where they're willing or unwilling. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And so he is the conquering king. But before he reigns as the conquering king and he is coming again and he will reign, he first came to be the suffering servant. So it was not his time. And so he, he detached himself from the, the multitudes and he gathered his disciples. And it was later in the evening. And the Bible tells us that he put the disciples in the boat. He made them get in the boat and he pushed them off into the Sea of Galilee, telling them to meet him at Capernaum. And if y'all are familiar with the story, this is the the scene where the, the storm was raging. That this is the storm where after probably as many as eight hours, the disciples had been rowing against the waves, that Jesus came to them walking on water. That this was the same storm that he invited the disciple Peter to step out of the boat and to walk on that water. That this is the same storm that when Jesus spoke a word and the wind and the waves obeyed his name. This is all of that same setting. And so in an instant, they were in Capernaum and part of the multitude. We don't know how many, but a portion of the multitude had caught up with Jesus at Capernaum and they found him in the synagogue. And why were they after him? They were after what his hands could do physically for them. That they were not interested in his message. They were not interested in the fact that he would be the suffering servant. Laying down his life for all of those who believe in him. What they want. They had dinner on the grounds last night. And it was incredible. It was amazing. They had their full. They had all they wanted. What do they want? They want sausage and gravy and, and bacon. Like they want, they want breakfast. They want another meal. They want another physical need met by Jesus and what Jesus does lovingly earlier in verse 26 of John six, he says this, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The reason you're after me, you're not you're not coming for me, for me, you're coming because you want your belly full again. And it's so easy in that moment, he exposes why they're why they're pursuing Jesus. Because of what Jesus can physically do for them. And, and my hunch is, and probably all of us have been there, we, we, we've done the same perhaps. That there's brokenness, there's physical need, there's physical pain, there's physical uh, needs that, that, that we know that the Lord can address and, and could fix and can move and can heal. And so we, we pray and we seek and we pray and we seek, it's easy to focus on what's temporary. It's easy to focus on the physical. It's easy to focus on the quick fix. It's easy to focus on the right here, right now. Like, aren't we a culture that just almost demands instant gratification? I mean, if Amazon Prime shows up one day later than tomorrow, we're we're like losing our minds. Where is it? If the internet is slow, we're like, what is happening? <laughs> this video isn't happening right now. It's buffering. Like we're like, what's what? What is the deal? What is going on? And so these these needs are, are real and they're they're urgent, but they're physical and they're 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 in the here and they're in the now. And those needs are ramped up when there is hunger, when there is physical hunger like these are experiencing in the story, but also a figurative hunger. When there's a desire, I need something and I need it now. That desire is strong when we have a great need. It's strong when we are weak. It's strong when we are weary. It's strong when we're angry or frustrated or upset. And we want God to do something and we want him to do something now. We want him to fix it. We want him to fix it now. And here's Here's what those that were speaking with Jesus said earlier in the text. John chapter 6, verse 30 and 31. They are telling God this. They said this. They said to him in verse 30, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, after Jesus has lovingly confronted them, lovingly exposed they're needing following him. They're like, yeah, so what are you going to do? Like, you can make some bread right now from heaven. That would be great because our fathers, that's what, that's what you did. That's what God did for them in the Old Testament. How about that? I imagine their, their hunger is kind of is, is guiding their ask there. Why don't you do that? That's what you, that's what you did for them. But they're focused on the temporary, and Jesus is focused on the eternal, they're focused on the physical. And Jesus is focused on the spiritual. They are focused on the quick fix, on the right here, right now, do this. Jesus is focused on the right here, right now, but he is focused on the right here, right now and forever. So Jesus is going to guide them and he's going to get their attention in a a very shocking way. He's going to help them understand belief. Look at verse 51. The Bible says this. He says, I am the living bread that came down From heaven. You are demanding physical bread. I'm the living bread. He says earlier in the chapter in verse 35. Jesus says I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says I'm the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements that the disciple John draws attention to. And every one of these I am statements is a statement that Jesus is making that is communicating the fact that he is God, that he is deity, that he is the God man. And he goes on to say, he's he's the bread from heaven. He's the living bread. So he's not a prophet. He's not a good man. He's not a good teacher. Like he's the God man. And he, he says on in verse 51, he says, if anyone eats of this bread... He'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So they're hearing this and they're probably, They're like, what? Whoever eats this bread, you're going to lay your flesh. And what Jesus is communicating is he came to be the suffering servant. Christ came to die. Let's just be amazed by that. Like if you ever question or wonder, does God care? Does God know? Does God love Just look to Jesus. The whole purpose of his coming was so that he would die. The reason that he clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us, humbled himself, was born in a manger. He was born in a manger to die for our sin, to take our place on the cross, to pay the sin debt that we could never pay on our own. This is why he has come. He he has come to lay down his life, to lay down his flesh. Why? So that those who believe in him would have everlasting life. So that you and I would have everlasting life. That's why he, that's why he came. And so in verse 52, the Jews were disputed. They disputed among themselves. They were arguing among themselves. They were disgruntled among themselves. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And I realized like we have the kiddos in our service this morning. It's like, what is Jesus saying when he says that? What's he communicating? You may be there like, what is he trying to communicate? Jesus is not promoting cannibalism. Jesus is not literally speaking of eating his blood and eating his flesh. He would never ask someone to disobey God's law, his law. Because in the Old Testament, God forbade that. Like, you don't do that. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled it perfectly for us, what we could never do on our own. He, is, he, he lived in perfect obedience to his law, the law he created. And if you go back to the Old Testament in Genesis 9, verses 3 and 4, here's what the Bible says. Every moving thing that lives shall be food, shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. So you don't do that. Leviticus 1710 into the Old Testament law. God says this, if any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. So Jesus is trying to communicate. He's helping them understand belief in a way that is profound in a way that and that connects with them. Because what Jesus is doing, he's not saying literally eat my foot. He's doing what he did with Nicodemus in John chapter three. He's doing what he did with the woman at the well in John chapter four. He is using figurative language imagery to communicate what belief really is and what it looks like using symbolism. And so in verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me that is the bread that came down from heaven not like the bread the fathers ate and died again he's communicating he's like listen i'm diff- i'm the living bread like your fathers in the old testament they received that manna. It was a physical need. It was a temporary need. But he tells them they ate that bread and they died. They're not living. They didn't, they they don't have the, the 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 you know the the spring of life or the 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 water of life. Like they 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 passed away. That was a physical, temporary need. And so in just a few moments, we're gonna take communion together. And when we take communion, the, the bread represents the, the body of Jesus that was crushed for our iniquities, as Isaiah says. And that we are going to take of the, the fruit of the vine or the juice that represents his blood. And we do that in remembrance of him. But it, it's important to know that what Jesus is talking about in this text, he's not talking about communion. He's a couple, couple signals why. Number one is this is a group of angry, hangry, disgruntled unbelievers I mean, they, they are, they are in every essence hangry and the, the, the communion is for the church. It's for, it's for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. But, but not only that, communion, Jesus didn't introduce communion until the eve of his crucifixion. This, from this event that we're reading about, that event is about a couple years away. So that has Jesus hasn't even introduced that to his disciples yet. And so that's coming. That's a couple years away. And so he's he's not referring to communion there because he he hasn't introduced it to his disciples. And and the language used, Jesus told the church, he says, as you take communion, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. It's to be reoccurring until Christ comes again. But the language, the original lingo in the Greek, if you dig in there, when it speaks of drink, His blood to eat his flesh. It is a once and for all action not to ever happen again. So Jesus is not, he's not talking about communion. And this is a hard saying for them. Like if you think about it, at the beginning of the John six on the mountainside, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And in just a few verses in verse 66, the Bible says that many turned away. These were hard words that Jesus is saying, that many turned back and no longer followed him. But Jesus, again, he's speaking not literally, he's speaking spiritually. And he tells us that in verse 63. If we were to look ahead just a few verses, the Bible says this Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life they're spiritual words so jesus isn't saying break the old testament law he's not teaching or talking about communion he's inviting them to believe in them and he's helping them understand belief in a way that is profound and real and one we all understand in verse 59 he says whoever feeds on this bread will live forever so this is just a great moment to 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 teach a principle as we read our Bibles, is if all we have was verses 51 through 59, that we would we would be obviously or always dependent on the Lord. But but if that's all we have. We would still like God help us to understand all of this. But God is so gracious and he's so good. He's given us Genesis to Revelation. He's given us his word. And and, and any time we read one verse of scripture, we find ourselves really striving or seeking by God's grace to understand it, God has blessed us in that we interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so we look at other scriptures, even just within this conversation. In John chapter six, verse thirty-five, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John chapter six, verse 40, just five verses later, he says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. In John chapter six, verse 47, Jesus says, truly, truly, or very, very, verily, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So what Jesus is communicating, when you look at it in the context of the ongoing conversation, Jesus is just communicating that to eat is to believe. To eat is to believe. Warren Wiersbe said it this way in, the, in a kind of a a contemporary way to understand these words of Jesus would be just as you take in food and drink within your body and it becomes a part of you so you must receive me within your inmost being so that I can give you life so i want us to 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 kind of like relate to one another on a on a hunger level okay I'm not gonna ask a poll of how many people are hungry right now all right because we we are I see that hand we are approaching lunch all right we are getting there and and I just want to ask your forgiveness in advance for what I'm about to do okay um uh, but 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 here's the thing I want you to imagine you are hungry you are hungry you have been working tirelessly tirelessly and you are desperately looking for a meal to satisfy your hunger. And so at your point of need, somebody walks up to you and hands you an Outback gift card. All right, Outback gift card. All right, and let's say you go to Outback and you have worked tirelessly and you are hungry and you are looking for satisfaction for your body. And when you get there, they put one of these right here, right in front of you, and if you're wondering, it is the real thing. <laughs> I went and I got this bread from Outback, and they placed this in front of you. And what are you going to do? I mean, are you just going to like, wow, that's nice bread, <laughs> like that's really good? Like you just going to stare at it or, or look at it? No, like you're you're hungry you need satisfaction. Your body needs satisfaction. So what are you going to do? You're going to take the little knife that they give you. And I didn't steal all of this just so you know, and, and, and you're going to, you're going to get some of that bread and you're going to take a, a, a piece of that bread. And I don't know what they do with this butter, but it is amazing. It's not, it's a different kind of, I buy butter and my butter doesn't look like this, but, but it's good. And and again, I'm just going to ask y'all's forgiveness because I can't just sit with this in front of me. And, and I, I, I can't do the miracle where I give all of you some. All right. Like Jesus. All right. So I, I'm just going to take a moment. And I'm, I'm hungry. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat. I'm sorry. I know. I know. But I can't. And who eats just one piece? Am I right? I am going to solve another piece. And, um. I mean, we just eat the whole loaf. I mean, I'm tempted to right now. That would be very cool. I'm sorry. Y'all are like, can you believe he's doing that for us? I feel the love. But, but here's the thing. Why do we eat it? Because our bodies are longing satisfaction. And when you eat something, to eat something is not to put it in your mouth, chew it, and spit it out. That's not eating. Eating is to take it into your inmost self. And what Jesus is saying is this. You are looking for a physical, temporary, quick fix right here, right now, need to be met. But I have come. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that has come from heaven and in me, and believing me, and me alone alone can you find soul satisfaction? Because we chase after so many things. How many of us have chased after a thing or a person thinking that thing or a person is going to satisfy the need? And it is not. And Jesus is communicating in his grace and in his love that he is the bread of life. And when you eat. When you believe in him, you are internalizing the truth of who he is. You are placing your entire weight and your entire trust in him and him alone. You're putting all of your confidence in his death, burial and glorious resurrection. You're placing your entire hope in him and he alone can satisfy. He alone can rescue you. And so it's been said, like, even with the bread, I mean, thinking about eating isn't the same thing as eating. Knowing nutritional facts about this bread isn't the same thing as eating. Understanding how this food was processed in whatever factory it was made, that is not the same as eating and the same is true as we talk about believing in Jesus. Is it thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing him? Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing him understand what it looks like or how a person begins a relationship with Jesus isn't the same as believing. Rather, believing is placing your entire weight and trust and confidence and all of your hope in Christ and in Christ alone. And this is why David could say in Psalm 34, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because even in the midst of great brokenness and even in the midst of great pain, We were reminded just as the disciples were in that raging sea and that raging storm that ultimately that storm will pass. That storm does not last forever, but yet God has given given us Himself who will sustain us, not just physically in this moment, not just right here, right now, but forever and ever and ever and ever. And so today for the believers in the room, I would just encourage, and isn't it amazing how, what do we call ourselves? We call ourselves believers. Why? Because we believe. Because we believe in the perfect life, death, and burial, and resurrection of King Jesus. We have had that time and place where we repented of our sin and placed our faith and trust in Jesus, believing in Him, that He alone can forgive us and to give us peace with God and to give us life and life to the full and even against the backdrop of great pain and great suffering that we can have peace and joy and life and life to the full and so as believers wherever you find yourself and perhaps you find yourself in the midst of great struggle I just hear the words of Jesus to his disciples on his on his final evening with them and he was saying take heart take heart. Yes, there is tribulation. Yes, there will be suffering. But I have overcome the world that he is so good and he is so gracious and he's so loving and he's so present and he's so powerful and He's so authoritative. And he's he's so transcendent more than just what I can see and think. in, in this time and space of the physical and the right now. And so may we as believers praise him and give him glory for His grace and His love and His care and the fact that He is the bread of life that has come down from heaven so that we can believe in Him. And then I would also say that it is possible that you're here, you might be listening online and you've never, you don't have a relationship with Jesus to which I would just encourage you through the text that we would see Jesus meeting with these disgruntled unbelievers who all they want is for Him to do something fancy with His hands so that they can have their temporary fix met But Jesus is communicating, telling them, listen, no, like I'm the bread of life. You're thinking physical. I'm talking like spiritual. You're thinking temporary. I'm thinking eternal. I'm thinking forever and ever. And so he has made a way for us to have a relationship with him for us to be forgiven of our sin and and to be made right with God, to have peace with God. And so I encourage you, if that's you and today you're like, you know what? I need to... I need to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's what I need to do right now. I want you to know in just a minute, we're going to have a little, uh, a little music playing. And, and nobody is going to be looking around because we're, it's just going to be a time of, of, of just personal prayer with the Lord, preparing our heart for communion. And I just want to invite you, we'll have pastors who are going to be down on these front rows. And just know that we're going to be there and we're going to be sitting there. And in that moment, if you if you feel compelled and you want to begin that relationship with Jesus, I just 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 come down, sit down beside us. And we would love to talk with you and pray with you over that. There's no no better day and no greater moment than to make the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. And then I would also say this is that as we prepare for communion, we are doing our 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 are closing a little bit different in that. We won't be singing songs together. Uh, We won't be asking you to stand. You're welcome to stand if you want to. But we just want to provide space that you prepare your heart for taking communion. That this is a time where where the Word encourages us. Like This isn't just something you do by the seat of your pants or or just flippantly, but rather we do so uh, intentionally and prayerfully and from a prepared heart. And so all of those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ are, are, are welcome to take communion. And so, and so now what I would invite us to do is to, to do that, to, to prepare our hearts. And just as best as you can, at 1141 on Sunday afternoon, even though we're in a room full of people, that by God's grace, you would, you would just, by His grace, just, it's just you and the Lord. And just reflect on the fact that the bread, the living bread of heaven has come down and has given us life and to remember what he did for us on the cross through his sacrificial death and his resurrection. And so I invite you to pray. You can pray on your knees. You can pray sitting in your chair. You're welcome to come to the altar. But I would just encourage us all just taking a few minutes and preparing our hearts as we prepare for communion. as we take the Lord's Supper communion together. It is important to know that Christ commanded this. He commanded his church to do what we're gonna share together as a community of believers. And as we take it, uh, it's important to remember um, what this means, what we do as as we remember. It's a symbolic object lesson that Jesus is teaching us. Earlier in my, in my D-group reading, we were reading through uh, Isaiah chapter 53. And, and here's what the word says in Isaiah 53. It says that he, speaking of the Messiah, speaking of Jesus, that he has borne our griefs. And I want us to think about this in light of communion. That he has borne our griefs. That he has carried our sorrows. That he was pierced for our transgressions. And that he was crushed for our iniquities. That upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with God. And that by his wounds we are healed. And it says just a couple verses later in verse 10. It says this and this is profound. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. God's plan all along. Was that He would be crushed for us, that He would be, obey the law perfectly, a law that we could never obey, that He would humble Himself and clothe Himself in flesh and dwell among us, that He would live a perfect, sinless life, that He would be uh, that He would be turned over to authorities, that He would be crucified on a Roman cross, and that he would pay the price that was demanded for our sin. He took our place on the cross. He took our place through a substitutionary death. And it is through his crushed body and through his shed blood that we can be forgiven and have peace with God. And so I want to invite you to take the bread. I want you to hold the bread in your hand. So you take a moment and take the bread. And just hold it. And as you do, I want you to reflect on the body of Christ, the living bread from heaven, who came to give up his life. And as you hold it, I mentioned that Jesus introduced communion at his last meal with his, with his disciples. He, he actually, they were celebrating Passover and he, he gave new meaning to the Passover meal. And so in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, the Bible says, Now, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it and broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body. At this time, I invite you to take the juice. hold on there to the juice the fruit of the vine represents his blood that was shed for our sin His perfect sinless blood without spot without blemish the lamb of god who came to take away the sins of the world and jesus in that same evening said this in verses 27 and 28 of matthew 26 it says and he took the cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And we will continue to take the Lord's Supper in the days to come until Christ returns. And here's what amazes. And there's so much that amazes me about the Lord, specifically this last meal. But the Bible says this, and this is going to be our amen in just a moment. But the Bible says in Matthew 26, verse 30, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, that after the meal, after they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So I want us to think about this. Jesus knows what is about to happen. He understands the betrayal that has been set in motion. He understands that as he goes through the, or to the Mount of Olives and to what's known as the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of crushing, that this will be the place where literally a mob of uh, Roman officials and the Jewish leaders are going to come and they're going to arrest him and what's going to set in motion essentially a kangaroo court after kangaroo court after kangaroo court ultimately ending with him being condemned to be crucified on a cross for our sin and here's what's amazing he knows all of this is coming he knows that the will of the father is about to be completed and he sings a song with his followers that's amazing. He sings a song. And so we're going to sing a song together. And this is going to be our amen. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And uh, we sing. This is called the doxology. And uh, so David James is going to come. And he's going to lead us. And I just want to say uh, what a blessing it's been to be here together with you. To worship together. To sing together. To share life together. To open his word together. To share communion together together. Uh, And now uh, that this is our amen together. I love you, church. Sing with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavens. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Church, you are dismissed.